Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that right now you make our hearts to be fertile soil. Jesus said that there are times when the word of God falls like seed on the ground of our hearts. And it falls on rocky soil. That it takes, there's no way for it to take root and no seed is, no fruit is produced. Other times the word is received, but the cares and concerns of the world choke it out. And then sometimes it falls on fertile soil and it produces fruit. And we know that we have all been in all of these places at different times. And so we ask right now as we prepare to read your word, as we prepare to hear it and see what it has to say to us this morning, we ask that you plow up those parts of our heart that are rocky, that you prune back those parts of our heart where the weeds grow, the parts that may choke out what you have to say to us. We ask that you clear all of that away. Soften our hearts like rich soil so that as this word is proclaimed, that it can take root and that what is discussed here today will lead to fruitful living, which is what you intend. Bless this time that we have together, the time that we have in the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 1b through 8, and verses 14 through 17. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus when they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For several weeks we've been moving through the book of Acts and trying to uh, sort of recover our mission as a church reclaim our purpose and reevaluate what it means to be the church, what it means to be the body of Christ. 
And for the first several weeks, we looked really heavily at, at the first six chapters especially. But I told you last week, from here on out, we're going to be sort of, uh, rather than diving in deeply, we'll be doing more of a rock across the pond. We'll be hitting certain points. Having said that, I want to direct your attention just for a moment to the inside of your bulletin. Uh, we, we, uh, every week we put in different scriptures here for uh, d- daily reading. And generally, the scriptures that we use in there are uh, from the divine office, the lectionary, and they will be from, from different parts of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and, and Psalms. Uh, but for the next several weeks, uh, other than on Sundays where I'll, I'll still continue to put the psalm in, for the next several weeks as we're going through Acts, I'm, I'm going to start putting in various portions of Acts that we are not going to be able to get to in the sermons. And so as you do your, uh, your daily uh, scripture reading, as your daily study, which, which I hope that, that you do, um, I, I encourage you to look at some of these passages and acts that we won't have time to get to, and that'll sort of help when, when you come in on Sunday. Uh, you'll have sort of maybe a, a bigger understanding or a fuller understanding of the context that we'll be speaking, um, that I'll, I'll be preaching out of on that Sunday. But today, this passage that comes from chapter 8 uh, is a message of encouragement, it's a message of hope in the midst of of challenge, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of tragedy. The challenge for the early church at this point was persecution. Now what we see here is sort of the tail end of something that happened in chapter 7. In chapter 7, uh, we are introduced to Stephen, who, uh, who appears to be the first martyr for the church. And he was stoned to death, and then at the the tail end of that, it just leads right into chapter 8. And the first part of chapter 8 says that Saul was standing there watching, that he observed all of this. And then so this passage we start with today picks up from that. And Saul is is going about dragging uh, believers off to prison, and some of them are facing... um, Trials and persecution, some of them are even facing the possibility of execution. And that's where we pick up today. Now, I want you to try to imagine the circumstances of the early church during this time. That's very hard for us to do in our nation where we have so many freedoms that we take for granted. It's very hard for us to do in, in a town like this where we even have many churches to choose from. Uh, but I want you to try to, to just, if, if you can, put yourself in the feet of, uh, or, or put your feet in the shoes of someone who may have lived back then, who may have been part of the early church. You've just received this word of proclamation. You've just received the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and it has changed your life. You have received the most wonderful news you could have possibly ever received. You have received joy, you have received peace on a level that you never thought was imaginable, and you have received it and and this understanding because uh, God has sent His Son to restore you, to save you. God has loved you so much that He sent His Son to bring peace and joy back into your life and to forgive you for all the wrongs that, that you have committed. So this is the word that you have received, and you have taken this into your heart, and, and it has changed you, it has transformed you, and you find yourself becoming a different person. 
you find yourself becoming a much greater person, a person who is filled with hope and love and joy, and a person who, who walks in not a superficial peace, but in a genuine peace, the peace of Christ. And your whole life has been transformed for the better because of this new and exciting movement that is going on uh, that is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And then, just like that, everything changes. And they are throwing people in prison over it. They are stoning people over it. And all of a sudden, your livelihood, maybe even your life, is threatened because of this wonderful gift that you have just recently received. Now, that is a challenge that most of us will probably never Understand, But I want you to, to try to just try to imagine that because that is the context that this passage comes out of. And so what happens is all these people who have received the good news of Jesus Christ, what do they do? No doubt some of them probably changed their mind. Some of them probably backed off. Maybe some of them became closet Christians. But I don't think the majority of them did that. The majority of them, it says, scattered, and as they scattered, they continued to proclaim. The good news for them was so good and so life-changing that they couldn't help but still talk about it, even under the threat of persecution. It had changed them so much that they couldn't help but share that, even though they knew that they may be in trouble for doing so. And they were driven out into various parts of the world. And it says that the good news was proclaimed even in Samaria. And the listeners were intent on hearing because they recognized that this was good news. Now I want to remind you about Samaria, what kind of place it was, or at least how it was perceived. It was not a well-loved place by the the Jews in, in Jerusalem. When Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan, the the Samaritan was the one who stepped in and healed the man or helped the man. And it was supposed to be appalling. The message in that was the, the lowly Samaritan was the hero of the story. When Jesus met the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan and she asked him, how is it that you are speaking to me, a Samaritan? You see, they had this view of Samaritans. They were lesser people. They were lowly. They were a different breed, a different class. And they didn't want to be associated with them. So I wonder, when it says that the the gospel had not previously been preached to the Samaritans, I wonder if, if there were people who just neglected to go because they didn't want to go to Samaria. If that was a place where undesirable people were, if that was an undesirable location, and I'm not saying the early church did this intentionally, But I just wonder if maybe the early church neglected to go to Samaria just simply because they didn't want to go there. They didn't like those people. They didn't like that town. They didn't like that place, and they didn't want to touch it. They would rather stay here. And so they shared the gospel with each other. They shared the love of Christ with each other. But they did not want to go where the other people were. That is a truth that is still relevant for us today. There are always places where we're going to be hesitant to go. Remember, this this goes back to Jonah. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. But it's true for us too. There are places where we don't necessarily want to go. We'd rather somebody else go take the gospel there. We would rather stay 
here where we're comfortable. But that's not what Jesus commanded us. Jesus said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And so the early church, maybe they weren't going like they should have been. Maybe they weren't spreading as quickly as God intended for them to. And what happened? They came under the threat of persecution and they were broken. They were shattered and then they were scattered. And pieces of the church started to deploy to other areas, not necessarily because they wanted to, but because they had to. And the result was the good news of Jesus Christ was brought to other places. And so often we harden our will against God's. God wants us to go and do certain things, but maybe we have other plans. There are things that we would rather do, and so we stiffen ourselves against that. And when we do, God is liable to allow us to be broken. Just as the early church was broken and then scattered. Now, we don't need to fear that because when God breaks us, he can put us back together in a much more wonderful and beautiful way. You see, we are all clay, both figuratively and literally. We are made from the dust of the ground, but, but the prophet Jeremiah said, he had the vision, he saw the potter, and he said, Lord, I am the potter, or I am the clay, and you are the potter. Mold me, make me, shape me. And we all are clay. And the thing about clay is that you can mold it, you can shape it when it's soft. But when it's hard, the only way it can be changed is if it is broken. If we allow ourselves to, to be soft in the presence of God, if we allow ourselves to be molded, He can do anything He allows, that anything that He wants with us. But when we stiffen our will against His, when we harden ourselves, then the only way He can reshape us is to allow us to become broken. There's a, uh, an art form uh, in Japan called kintsugi, where a, a pot is broken, a clay pot is broken, but then it's mended together with gold. And what happens is as they glue these pieces back together, they're using this gold paste, this, this paste that is literally filled with gold, to put it back together. And when the pot is put back together, it's much more beautiful than it was originally. Because all the places where cracks once were is now gold. And this is what God does for us. When we become broken, when things happen to us, when we experience suffering, when we experience tragedy, when we experience persecution, God can pick up the pieces of that and use it to make something even more wonderful, something even more beautiful. In the East, they have these things that are kind of like Proverbs. They're called koans. And, and basically there are these paradoxical sayings that aren't, or riddles that aren't supposed to really have an answer. One of them you might have heard is, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Now me and my western smart aleck way of thinking, when I first heard that, when somebody first asked me what is the sound of one hand clapping, I went... But that's, that's, see, that's the problem, is, is we try to immediately come up with an answer. And, and the purpose of these koans is to demonstrate that there is, is a fallacy in believing that we have all the answers. There's a fallacy in human logic. There, the, the, to think that we can take anything and figure it out logically, that's, that's erroneous. It's ridiculous. 
And especially when it comes to our faith, because our ways and our knowledge is not God's knowledge. It's not God's ways. There's a, a, a lot of paradox in Christianity. You must lose your life in order to gain it. The last shall become first, and the first shall become last. And as we see, and as this passage here demonstrates, when we are broken, we are made into something even more beautiful. We must allow ourselves to be broken if we want God to put the pieces back together the way he intends them to. What does it mean for us to be broken, though? What does that mean? What means anything that disrupts our lives or anything that interrupts us? Anything that, that, that comes up that is contrary to what we have uh, planned and designed for ourselves. We set goals. We have ideas. We have things, dreams that we are pursuing. And we are uh, just pouring ahead, full steam ahead. And, and then something comes along and interrupts that, disrupts that, sends us off course. It could be by way of failure. It could be by way of personal tragedy. It could be by way of declining health. It could be a number of things. They are disruptions. They are interruptions that break us. And then if we allow, God can take that brokenness and make something beautiful out of it. Think about a butterfly. What is a butterfly but a caterpillar that comes from a broken home? A caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it's warm, it's safe, it's protected, it's cozy, it's dark, and then it starts to crack. And I'm sure this might be upsetting, especially if you think about if, if we were to be in a cozy environment, if we were to find our comfort zone, and then all of a sudden we start to see the foundations crack. But as that caterpillar is in the cocoon and it starts to crack, what happens? Light comes pouring in through the cracks. And then when it just completely falls away together, it is faced of a, with a world full of light. And it has become something much more beautiful than what it once was. And butterflies aren't just beautiful in and of themselves, but they make the world more beautiful. Have you ever seen a child's face light up? When they see a butterfly. Butterflies bring joy and beauty to the world in the way a caterpillar never could. But all a butterfly is, is a caterpillar that comes from a broken home. And that doesn't mean that we should all hope for broken homes. We should all pray for broken dreams, shattered promises. But it does mean that we can find hope when things look desperate. When things look terrible, when tragedy falls upon us, we can still trust that God is somehow going to take the pieces of that and make something beautiful. So when we go back to this passage, when we think back about the early church, we have to consider us being a part of the church today might not have ever happened if it weren't for the fact that the early church was persecuted, broken, and scattered. It was in that scattering that they were finally able to do what Jesus commanded in the first place, which was go, make disciples of all nations. And God's will was then accomplished, even in the midst of that tragedy. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means...
two things, I believe. First, it means that we have to be ready and we have to be willing to be molded, to be shaped, to be guided. We must be like the soft clay that we allow the potter to shape. And if we aren't, then we must be willing to allow ourselves to be broken. The second thing I think this means for us is that when we are broken, God can certainly use those circumstances to accomplish his will for us. That's the truth for the church, but it's also the truth for us individually. Jesus said that God sees even the sparrow when it falls to the ground. The birds of the field never have to worry about being fed because God the Father is going to feed them. Consider the lilies. They are clothed finer than Solomon. God takes care of those who place their trust in him. And the fact that God worked a miracle in the midst of persecution, in the midst of execution, in the midst of imprisonment and tragedy and fear for the early church, God worked a miracle and that fact demonstrates his sovereignty and it demonstrates his love and his healing. No wonder the good news is so good. It brings us hope, it brings us power, and it brings us beauty, even in the midst of our brokenness. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you soften our hearts where they are hardened. And Lord, if they are hardened beyond repair, we ask now that you submit our wills to yours. We ask that you allow us to be broken in a way that you can fix us. Fix us in ways that we cannot fix ourselves. Put us back together in a way that resembles your beauty and not our own ideals. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you accomplished your mission through the early church, the ways the gospel was spread, the way that it made its way all the way over here and into our hearts all these years later. And we ask that you take our lives and that somehow, some way, you allow the good news that we believe, the good news that we confess and that we proclaim, we allow that news to, to, to shine through us, to be proclaimed by us, in a way that will spread and bring hope and life and beauty to others, even in the midst of their brokenness. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 68 from the Cokesbury Hymnal, Be Still My Soul. If you made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward and and share that with the congregation. Uh, As always, the altar is open for anyone who wishes to come forward and spend just a few moments here in prayer. But please stand if you are able. Join us in singing hymn number 68, Be Still My Soul.